You're listening to Titans of the Trades. I'm your host, Ryan England, author of Hire Better People Faster and creator of the Corfit Hiring System, a proven process to help growing companies attract and retain only the best. I'm on a mission to revolutionize the perception of the trades and elevate it to new heights. After growing up in a blue collar family, my passion for making the trades cool again runs deep. If you're a Titan in the industry and want to be on my show, stick around until the end and I'll reveal how you can be my next guest. Think about the power differentials in their organization. If you're the head honcho, if you are you know, the leader of a department, there is a power differential. So you really have to normalize and hammer down to your direct reports that you are open, if not eager, to receive constructive feedback. And I would say model it. Like, hey, Molly came up to me and told me that this process that we're doing is completely repetitive, redundant, and it wastes her time. And I'm so happy she did because now we've got a new process that saves her two hours a week. So letting you guys know, I am not the all-powerful. When you're at a power differential with your employees, you have to constantly be thinking about how can I make it okay for them to question and to challenge me. Today's guest is someone I was very excited to speak with. She has so much more education and background in being able to have difficult conversations or communicating in general with your people. She is the host of the Toolbox for the Trades podcast. She has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And we talk about on today's episode, how that translates into business, having that background and being able to understand what it's like when the stakes couldn't be higher to have a conversation with someone. I just want to jump right into it. It's a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Make sure you've got pen and paper ready to go, especially when she gives you the tips for having these conversations with your team. I want to welcome today's show, Jackie Abel. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I am so excited to be on Talent Tackle Box. Oh, and I am so excited to have you here. We met a few months ago. I got to record on your podcast and I felt like we connected on a lot of philosophy around how we build and grow teams and how we communicate with people. And that's why I wanted to have you here. Usually I start out with uh, this question, this idea, like what's the myth that we need to break down for our listeners today? What is that that mindset shift that we want them to make? But I think what I'd rather do is just put it out there and just share a myth that I think you and I both agree is a myth. And that's that communication inside of an organization needs to remain very business and and, and not connecting and and just say, hey, you're here to do a job. I'm here to do a job. Let's just go do our work together. I don't see that as very viable or very scalable. And we need to connect with people. And so I would love to just have a conversation with you about connection, how we talk to people, how we keep those conversations going. And at the end of the day, just realize that this is the softer side of business, the squishy side, I like to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. You know what? Before I do that, though, I have to say this. Congratulations to Jackie. She just got a master's degree and is exceptionally qualified to talk on this subject because of all the education and background. So Jackie, Take it away. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I love this topic. And to your point, well, thank you again for congratulating me. I worked (laughs) my butt off for it. I got a master's in marriage and family therapy, which I don't think a lot of people were expecting because I've been in business. I've been working at tech startups for my entire career, basically. But I always, I'm a giant advocate of therapy. I go to my own therapy and I just wanted to learn more about it and potentially obtain a skill set 
that I would be able to parlay into another career or, you know, what have you. I find that I'm using my master's degree in marriage and family therapy every day at work. And I think it is Mm -hmm. such a nice tie into what we're talking about in terms of connection and how to talk with people. I currently work at Service Titan. I am the host for their podcast, Toolbox for the Trades, where I talk to service entrepreneurs every week about how they grow their business. And without a doubt, the biggest thing, it comes up every episode, is culture and how you treat your people and how you retain your top folks. And guess what? You don't retain them. There's not some algorithm or equation out there that's like, this right amount of salary is going to make sure that Bob doesn't leave you for your competitor. No, it's about really getting to know your client, your employees. I almost said clients because they kind of are your clients, right? Like it's about getting to know your employees, empowering them and making them feel good about the work that they do. I also just want to caveat before we go into this. A lot of the times I will hear from entrepreneurs, oh, well, we're a family here. Mm. I don't necessarily like that verbiage for a couple of reasons, but there is certainly a sweet spot between being completely numbers driven and business oriented and being a complete enmeshed family unit. And I think that entrepreneurs and owners who want to scale their business need to think about really filling in that sweet spot and focusing on building their culture and making the place that they own a great place to work and somewhere that people are excited about, somewhere they feel challenged and they feel good about the work that they do. So I think there's a lot, this is a very broad topic we could go into, we could talk about for hours. So is there a specific sure. point that like, are what's firing in your brain right now? I think about a couple of things that you just said, and I agree with you. I think saying we're a family, it's a, it's a slippery slope there. Like it can go either way. And I run into a lot of clients that are like, oh, that's one of our core values is family. A lot of people I know don't like their family. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. do we want to have to overcome that challenge by putting out their family? But the other thing you said too is, and I, I love this marriage and family therapy. And for anybody that's heard me talk before, you know that I believe that recruiting is much like a dating relationship. When you make the offer and they say, I will. It's almost like you just got married and that first 90 days is the honeymoon. And I use that analogy very much to explain the concepts of why this is so important to connect with people and have open, honest conversations with people because we struggle to do that in our personal lives, but we struggle even more in our business. And I think that is something that's really missing, especially in the trades, like in the tech places, we see it a little different, you know, white collar, you're all in an office together. Uh, You get to have lunch together every day. But when you take the majority of your workers and you put them behind a windshield and you say, go off into the wild by yourself, it's really hard to connect with those people if you're not intentional about it. Well, and let's also talk about my father's a carpenter. He's a union carpenter in New York City. He had his own business for a bit. And you know, my father's in his 60s. He's now retired. The culture of what it was like for my dad's generation to get into the trades, very different than the culture that we want to see in the field now, right? I mean, mm. my dad has told me stories. I've heard stories from other contractors who've been on my show that where they were essentially hazed, like almost like a fraternity. You know, you get into the field, you're an apprentice. It's like, go find me the uh, the suction cupper upper or whatever. And this poor tech is in the truck for hours looking for this tool. And that's not really the way that we want to teach folks now. And so I think a challenge for some business owners, especially those that grew up in the business, 
and maybe are a little bit older is disrupting that narrative. I think if there's a hazing culture or any type of, I almost say hazing is a very strong word. So apologies. I can't think of a better synonym, but no, I, I get what you're saying. Just because you did it does not mean that the folks behind, like after you should have to do it. Let's recognize what worked and what didn't work when you were coming up and let's disrupt any models that may not be working. Well, and I think that hazing that you're talking about, I'm just going to use the word hazing as well. I know it's a strong word. My personal opinion and what my research has shown me and, and the people that we've worked with that are second, third generation in the trades, I personally believe that that's one of the reasons we struggle to attract the next generation. It's because they don't want to go through that. And they heard the stories and their their parents raised them and said, nope, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go into that trade because look how they treated my dad. Yeah, exactly. My mom. And I think that that idea and that narrative, and I still, I still got those old timers that we deal with like, well, in my day, I'm like, well, it's not your day. <laughs> it's not your day. Your day's gone, my friend. So tell me, when you think about this, this culture and this communication and, and the example that we set, I think that example piece is really important that you talked about. Letting go of that narrative. Talk to me a little bit more about how do you set that example or, or be that example or even decide what example you want to set? Like, what are some thoughts you have? My biggest thought that's coming to me right now is the example of managing up. So earlier on, you were talking about folks who say, business is business, and we're going to just stick it to business around here. Well, I think Mm. what you miss there when you talk about business and business decisions, and this is a personal example from my career, business decisions can be made and they can be done in the name of numbers. They can be done in the name of uh, ROI. But sometimes those business decisions can have real human effects. So in the example I'm thinking about, at a job that I had, I was going to get a direct report, but because of some ROI issues, that direct report got cut and I was not properly told by my leaders why that was happening. I also found Mm. out from the direct report that I recruited that they were canceling the interviews because I was on PTO that day, which was really hard, a really harsh thing for me to receive. And my immediate thought, like reaction to this is like, you promised me a direct report. You canceled the interview within 24 hours of this candidate that I wanted to hire. And I didn't find out from you. I found out from the candidate. This was the worst possible experience. I was, Mm. I felt disrespected. I felt like I was, I was embarrassed in front of someone in my personal network. And the only emotion I had my the emo- like I didn't think about this as oh this must have been a business decision and we're doing it for the profitability <laughs> of the company. My immediate thought was like oh my god what did I do wrong? How did I piss mm. these people off? Like what what is this saying about me? And what I think you have to understand is that when you're working and you're working at a corporation towards a certain goal, unfortunately there's not robots behind your computers. There's not robots who are out there in the field working with your customers. They are humans that have their own incredible, unique, and varied stories that affect how they show up to the job every single day. They're going to have different needs. They're going to have different wants. I'm not saying that you have to get to know exactly like everyone's coffee order or something, or you need to know everyone's childhood trauma on your team. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you really have to take the, the, take the opportunity to talk with folks one-on-one. And going back to my original thought about managing up, you have to set the example of if you're the leader of your organization and you're 30,000 feet, 
you know, kind of making these broad decisions, you have to empower the folks who are on the ground doing your work, make sure that they know that they can tell you when stuff is effed up. Mm -hmm. And I think you can model that in a bunch of different ways, which we don't necessarily have to get into, but you have to make it okay for folks to say when they think that you're making a mistake and have a productive conversation. A couple of things that stood out to me that you just said is you have to remember that when you hire a human being, you get everything. You don't just get the hands. You don't just get the worker. You get the childhood traumas and the people that love their coffee orders. And you get all of that. Like it's not a, you get to pick and choose. It's all or nothing. And I think that in the trades, especially, we've seen it go towards more of a or nothing because people don't want to work for someone who doesn't value them as a human being. And I know that seems warm and fuzzy, but I think that's what you're saying is like, you have to change the way you think. It's not your granddad's trades anymore. It's not where we haze and we just, oh, you're a set of hands, get in here and don't worry about being safe. Like just go work. It's no, this person has hopes and goals and dreams and you have to be a part of that. Exactly. And think about the competition now. I mean, millennial Mm. generation I know, which I'm a part of, we job hop all of the time. I've been at Service Titan for six years. Whenever I tell people that, they're like, oh my gosh, like like blink three times if they've got you trapped. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And the reason I'm still there is because I have a manager who I know intensely cares about my work-life balance, cares about how I'm feeling at the job. My CMO feels that way as well. And so I feel comfortable and safe in that environment. When we're talking about the old timers who say back in my day, chances are you found a business, you worked there for 25, 30 years, and then you retired. That's not the reality anymore. You have so much more competition, you know, economy and global politics aside that influence (laughs) the job economy. Yeah. You know, if you have a high achieving performer who's not being fulfilled, who's not feeling like they're being taken care of or appropriately praised, they can find someone else who will do that for them. So going back to what you were saying about how hiring and retention is like dating, it's very much true. Even if you bring out all the bells and whistles for the first date for the hiring and the onboarding, you kind of have to keep the magic alive as the employee goes through their time at your business. You have to make sure that you're adjusting to their needs as best you can especially if they're good leaders and good ICs within your organization. Yeah. I was thinking about this, it being like dating and, and we, we're hiring the whole person. That's how I say it. We're hiring the whole thing. You've got a master's in marriages and relationships now and families and how they communicate and, and how you support them. I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this right now going, you know what? If I could just get through to the three or four people that are causing drama on my team, or if I could just figure out how to engage that group that used to be so good, but they're disengaged now, I imagine that there's some good conversations that could come out of that. Do you have any tips or tricks or magic wand moments where that you can share where it's like, if you just do this, it will help. And I I don't think I'm looking for a silver bullet, but just some guidance on that direction because- I believe we don't have a hiring issue in the trades. I believe we have a retention issue in the trades. And most, most of these people can find people and hire people. The problem is they can't keep them. And a lot of that has to do with the fact they don't know how to have these conversations when the drama comes up, when this stuff happens. So what's some thoughts or some tips or tricks that you can share with our listeners to help them through that? Oh my gosh. You know, uh, so I 
have clients right now. Believe it or not, I work full time at Service Titan. I also work part time as a as a therapist, and <laughs> I see couples and individuals, and I've also seen families too. And the number one thing when we see a system, which is more than one person in the room, is we have trouble with communication every time. Mm. It's like we need better. We we need help communicating, and it's so odd, right? Because and let's just focus on the couple, right? Or even we can put it to the family. These, in theory, the people that are in this therapy room with you are the people that you love the most, that you want the best for, that you are like literally the most, that are the most precious human beings to you on this planet. And you're telling me that you have trouble communicating with them? Oh my (laughs) gosh. So just, I just want to normalize that for a second. If you like, so many people struggle with communication and every, to everyone who's listening right now, I want you to like, think back to your childhood childhoods. I know this is a trope, but it's, it's a trope because it's true. Think about the communication that was modeled for you when you grew up. Did you have a parent who was passive aggressive and said, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine for a week and then blew up at the end of the week? Did you have a parent who modeled like, I'm the boss and you have to say what I do? Or did you watch your parents have discussions where they argued, but they were still on the same team? So a couple things I want you to remember when you're about to go into difficult conversations. It's not a you versus them. It's not an employer employee versus employee. You're on the same team. So act like it. Okay. So that's the first thing that I want you to think about. We are on the same team. I want this person to continue to work for me because they're doing a good job. Or I like this person, their job isn't, you know, they're not up to snuff the way I want them to be, but I would like them to continue working for me. And that person, likely that person wants to keep working for you. So you guys all have the same goal. So think about that. The next thing I would encourage you to do is, and this is a very blanket therapy like thing to know. Focus on I statements. What are you Mm. experiencing in this dynamic between you and your employee? Instead of saying, you know, you're always on your phone when I walk through the office and I really need you to step things up here. Wow, what a vague and very angry comment to make at me. Instead of, hey, Ryan, I feel like whenever I see you, you're always on your phone. And I want to talk a little bit about how you work and I want to understand why that is. So the next thing after I statements is getting curious. We have our own worldview based on our own life experiences, right? And so whenever you see other folks' behavior in the wild, you're always going to filter that through your experience. I value this. Therefore, I know they value this. That's completely wrong. So you want to get curious. And while you're having this conversation, this is my favorite acronym. I want you to think about, wait, why am I talking? Are you talking because you want to defend your position? Are you talking because you're feeling an emotion bubbling up right now and you need to make sure that it's getting said? I really want you to folks who are going to have these these difficult conversations to just slow down, focus on on communicating your experience of the issue, and then get really focused on understanding your employee's experience of the issue, getting curious. And I think if you start from that, you really can't go wrong. And you could, I mean, I'm super direct. I'm from New York. I am a horrible liar. Uh, My sister will tell you. I really approach these types of conversations in a really blunt and straightforward way. Like the example I brought up at the beginning of the show with uh, the direct report who kind of got pulled out from under me without my notice. I entered my conversation with my boss at that time saying, hey, I need you to know that I need to talk to you. 
I'm emotionally really angry and upset about this, I may actually cry. I don't need you to react to that, but I need you to know that this is how my body responds to this type of injustice. So know that I'm not attacking you. I'm just expressing how hurt I am by this moment. Now, this is like a kind of extreme example, and I am a crier. I'm a very emotional person, as I'm sure folk, you and folks listening can ascertain. So some people be like, what? This lady is telling me to cry at work? I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you how I experience life. <laughs> so I think that is like kind of some good direction to think about. And then I also have some suggestions for how stuff like that can be avoided. But uh, I'll pause there and see if you have – I saw you were writing things down. Oh, yeah. i have taken notes. Which is also great. Guys, I am like the queen of taking notes when I'm talking to people. Because especially when I'm talking to folks like Ryan, who's like constantly like sparking my neurons and I'm thinking about all (laughs) different things, I like write stuff down because I'll forget it. So when you have these conversations, you can bring in a notebook and a pen and say, hey, just FYI, I'm going to take notes while you're talking uh, just so I don't forget anything. I love what you said about how these people that you love and you care about the most are the ones you struggle to have the open conversations. Like it just... Doesn't well, make think sense. about it. No, it does. Well, I'll tell you why it makes sense. The stakes <laughs> couldn't be higher. Mm, that's true. The stakes couldn't be higher. If I yeah. miscommunicate with my spouse about an issue, I don't know, maybe what's the worst? What's the worst? A lot of times we go with what's the worst that could happen, which I'm very yeah. guilty of it. That's why I, you know, became a, that's why I got a master's in therapy. <laughs> Divorce. They could leave yeah. me. What's the best that could happen? Oh, we work as a team and we resolve this issue. But I mean, it does make sense. So again, I want to normalize it. If people are thinking they're like, oh my God, I'm nervous when I talk to my spouse too. It's like, yeah, because the stakes couldn't be higher. I see that happen a lot with entrepreneurs. I'm like, why don't you have that conversation with that person? Oh, because I don't want them to quit. I don't want to upset them. I don't. The stakes couldn't be higher. Like, what's the worst that happens if they quit? You're going to have to help me find someone else. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to do that. But what's the best that happens? And we often have that conversation. And, and I would love your thoughts on this, but here's what I've learned. If I want to have a difficult conversation with Jackie, Jackie probably wants to have a difficult conversation with me too. And so whoever's the more mature one that starts it <laughs> is usually the one that's going to say, Hey, I want to fix this. I want to resolve this. Let's work through it. Yes. And to that point, I I love the phrase, the stakes couldn't be higher or lower. I use it all the time in my personal life to kind of ground myself. I think when businesses are, and like leaders at the 30,000 foot level who are looking at the numbers and looking how performance is, when they see, say, like an average ticket dip, or when they see number of calls come in dip, like, you know, number of converted leads dip or whatever, their thought there is the stakes couldn't be higher. Oh my God, my numbers are tanking. Oh my God, oh my God okay, this is going to be a little controversial. I think think you've got it mixed up. I think in that case, the stakes couldn't be lower. Are you Mm. tracking to a goal? That goal was made up by you. Yeah. I I think when we look at numbers, I'm sorry, I'm kind of like stumbling through this because I have to figure out a way to like market this to folks who are going to listen to me and be like, shut the hell up, lady. (laughs) You're doing great. But when it comes to people, I think the stakes couldn't be higher. Like, so think about, think you have a high performing dispatch lead or whatever, and now your dispatching has been fakakt for the last 
week or whatever. Oh my God, my dispatch numbers are screwed. Mistakes couldn't be higher. We've got to fix this ASAP. I think it's more like, oh wait, okay, let me, before I even get into this, let me talk to Susan or Brian or whoever my, my dispatch lead is and figure out like, let me have a conversation and get curious about what's been happening. Sometimes we have to ground ourselves a bit, especially when it comes to fast growing businesses that have high goals. I mean, I work at Service Titan, which is a company like that. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself the stakes, they're not that as high as you think they are. You talking about that dispatcher, you know, it reminds me of a technician that worked for a client of ours and he was amazing. He was always not only closing, but also being able to upsell. And it was an HVAC and he was, he was big on indoor air quality stuff. And so we always come out and like, how is he doing this? He was just really good at connecting with the customer and listening to their needs and all the stuff that we coach technicians on when they're out there selling. And they call me and they're like, we need to replace him. And I was like, well, what's, what's going on? They're like, for two and a half years, he was amazing. These last three weeks, I, I got to find someone else. I can't deal with it. And their reaction was, he's broken now. Like the cog chipped a tooth and we just got to replace the cog now. And I was like, hold on a second. This is the guy that you just used to gush about how awesome he was. Maybe something's going on personally. Well, I don't know. I don't have time to deal with that. This was their reaction. I don't have time to deal with that. I was like, wait a minute. This was your top tech. You won't take an hour out of your day <laughs> to go figure out how to make him a top tech again? They're like, well, Ryan, I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, here, let's do this. We run an assessment on him. We just had him take an assessment because it didn't feel like attacking. And I, they had me sit down with him and I said, so your assessment says, the thing you took says, and they're sitting in the room watching this and he just starts crying. And I go, what's going on? He goes, after 20 years, my wife wants a divorce. It's really nasty. She's taking me for everything. We still have some kids at home and she's putting the kids against me and it's just really messing me up. He goes, I thought I was doing a good job of hiding it because that was his mindset was I have to hide this from my boss because I want my boss to know. Well, the numbers spoke for themselves. It opened up a dialogue is what it did. And as soon as they heard that, all of a sudden they changed. They're like, oh my gosh, I care about this guy. I want to help him through this. What it came down to at the end of the day, what it came down to was he knew he was going to have to have time off to deal with the courts and attorneys and paperwork and all this other stuff. And he was afraid to go talk to his boss. So he was putting it in there when the boss wouldn't notice or, you know, coming in late or just always distracted. They solved it by saying, how, how about this? You give us 24 hours notice and we'll have dispatch work to reroute your stuff if you need time off. That was the only change they made. And you know what happened? Within like three days, <laughs> he was back to closing again. Well, think about that emotional burden of like having to like now add, okay, my life's falling apart and now I have to like become a ninja who like is hiding things at work. Like I can't even imagine how are you going to sell anything with all of that on your mind? Yeah. And he went back to performing again and, you know, their belief was, well, if I do this for him, everybody else is going to ask. And you know what? No. Didn't know everybody else asked because nobody else wants to go through what he's going through. <laughs> like, and they were, everybody was there to support him, but it was so crazy to me how it was all about the numbers until they found out it was something personal. And then they go, well, we do care about him, but they could not for the life of them figure out how to open up that conversation. And I see this happen all the time. I, I totally understand. But it, I mean, I would, going back to what I shared before, you got to get curious. You mm-hmm. have to get curious. And it doesn't like, I'm not saying by any means you have to become like bosom buddies with like every single one of your employees. You yeah. just have to show human decency, respect, curiosity, and 
the fact of the matter is, is there's so much nuance that happens in work. As much as our stupid human brains want us to think it's black and white, you do the work, I get the money. That's not what happens. There's so much stuff that happens in between there. And we have to let ourselves not be as rigid about that. We have to be a little bit more loose. Yeah. And you know what I think would be, this may be a little radical, but I want your take on this as the recruiting and onboarding and retention expert. (laughs) So one thing I wanted to really talk about, I statements, wait, why am I talking, getting curious, stakes couldn't be lower, all of these like mind tricks. I think some way to really talk about how to encourage these habits. So also encouraging your employees to like have tough conversations when they need to is frequent Mm. communication. I hear all the time about weekly meetings or whatever, or monthly meetings where we do, we, we applaud texts for the reviews that they get. We applaud dispatchers or CSRs for, you know, the leads they converted, that kind of stuff. I think Mm -hmm. that's great. I also think there's something to be said about including in your weekly meetings, like, hey, what did we learn? What's something that happened in the last month or the last week that we learned from? And this would be an extreme example, but this high-performing tech coming up and saying, let's say this tech's name is Jeremy. Like, we would like Jeremy to come up. Obviously, you ask Jeremy for permission that make sure he wants to talk to the group. And he can just talk to the group and say, hey, guys, just want to let you know, I have a family thing going on. I spoke directly with Bob and James, and they adjusted my schedule accordingly. So I want to encourage everyone that it was like a great thing to do. And if you're ever going through some personal stuff like I am, just, you know, have that conversation. So same thing with like, What's a promotion that we tried out that didn't perform the way we wanted to? Talking about the things that didn't work in addition to the things that did work, I think is also really important because it normalizes the reality, which is we're not going to win all of the time. And it's going to demonstrate that it's not just the owners, operators who have a voice at this company. It's also the contributors. I love that. You know, I I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are self-proclaimed fix-it men right? Like they just want to fix things. Something's not right. They want to fix it. They want to fix it. They want to fix it. And the problem is when you have that mindset, that mentality, you're always looking for the thing that's broken. That's just where you go. When their team wins, they never celebrate. Like, well, it's about time we won because we lost for the last three weeks. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You said, don't just celebrate the wins, but look at some of the opportunities. I see it almost the other way a lot of times, which is let's just not look for the opportunities. Let's celebrate some of the wins. And I think that's important, but I love what you were saying though, about adding something to the meetings. I I like to say it's like creating rituals. Like we all have inside of our organization, you know, we all have our, our regular meetings and we all have the little secret handshakes and we have all this stuff that we do, but let's create some rituals around communication and the ways we communicate and not just top down, bottom up, bottom up too, which I find a lot of these smaller companies struggle with. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, there's a power differential. There's a rule in California where I live. By the way, just for everyone listening, different states have different credentials. Your therapist has to go go through different amounts of training in every state. California happens to be one of the most most rigorous states in the country Mm -hmm. in terms of what you have to do. I believe it. There's an ethics rule by CAMPED and AMPED. AMPED is the American Association of Marriage Family Therapists, California Association of Marriage Family Therapists. If I gave therapy to a client, say I, say I was a, someone's therapist for three years or three months or three weeks, whatever, does not matter. After we have had that relationship, I cannot have a casual friendship with that client or a sexual one, right? That's what TV and movies love to talk about. It's unethical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to know why? Tell me. It's because there's a power differential. 
there will always be a power differential because there was at one point in time in our relationship where you bared your soul to me and I was a mirror. I reflected, but I did not give you the same amount of information that you gave me. So there's a power differential. And the reason I bring this up is because I want to encourage the folks listening to think about the power differentials in their organization. If you're the head honcho, if you are you know, the leader of a department, there is a power differential. So you really have to normalize and hammer down to your direct reports that you are open, if not eager to receive constructive feedback. And I would say model it. Like, hey, Molly came up to me and told me that this process that we're doing is completely repetitive, redundant, and it wastes her time. And I'm so happy she did because now we've got a new process that saves her two hours a week. So letting you guys know, I am not the all-powerful. When you're at a power differential with your employees, you have to constantly be thinking about how can I make it okay for them to question and to challenge me? Because Mm. I think- you know, it's, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, blah, blah, blah. Like you're spending most of the time with your employees. They know certain areas of your business better than you do. And you're not doing a good job if they're not actively coming to you and telling you how things need to be fixed, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And when you were talking, I was thinking about some clients that we have. I even dealt with this in my business where people look to the, the boss or the owner and say, oh, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to share that because I don't, I don't, they're busy. I don't want to bother them. It's almost one of those things like almost all the leaders I know, myself included, would say, no, I'd rather you tell me there's a problem so we can go solve it or or we stay in communication and you don't have to fill me in on Friday and catch me up on everything that's happened. I'd rather you bother me in the meantime. And I know that most leaders that I work with feel that same way. But the problem is the reality is our people don't agree with that. Unless we're very intentional about bringing up examples. Look, this person bothered me and it was awesome. And we learned this about each other and we did this. And I think it's celebrating those little things that we probably take for granted. No, we, we do take for granted celebrating those, but sharing them. I think about how it's always talked about in the negative. I don't know if you remember Seth Godin's Poke the Box. Did you ever read that? Oh, book? I actually never read that. Just thinking outside the box. But the idea is is you don't even have to be outside the box. You just have to poke the box. Just get to the edge of the box and poke it. And you'll find that you'll have so many great ideas. But the story that I always remember about that is that your people are afraid to poke the box because they think, remember Jimmy? Jimmy was here 10 years ago. Jimmy poked the box and oh, it was a disaster for Jimmy. Jimmy's not even here anymore. So we can't poke the box. And so these these self-limiting beliefs become commonplace inside your organization because at the time, you didn't communicate with your people about why Jimmy's no longer there. They just associate it with poking the box. And that's why I think being intentional about culture is so important, especially if we're talking like second gen owners, third gen owners. Oh, if you're inheriting yeah. your parents' business, let me tell Absolutely. you, there was... <laughs> There were probably some practices done in the decades where you were just toddling around the office, like being all cute, holding a hammer and stuff. Where, And if you're inheriting employees that were there at the beginning, they are, I don't want to say they're stuck in their ways by any means, but they have shaped and grown based on the environment of the culture of the company. And if you want to make serious change and have a more collaborative work environment, you have to be really conscientious that like those folks that have been there for even as long as like three or five years, you're going to probably have to 
challenge their existing maladaptive beliefs. That's some CBT for you. You know, on the individual therapy level, a lot of some people sometimes come to therapy because they have these reoccurring thoughts that they're like, they're worthless, they're no good, they're dumb, whatever. And uh, CBT is a methodology where you're constantly questioning those negative beliefs. Those and mm. because they eventually become self self fulfilling prophecies. Sure, the same thing happens in business. Like that's the thing that I've learned from this degree, which I am so grateful for, is everything that happens in a system, whether that be a couple, whether that be a family, whether that be a friend group. It's all of the roles that people play in those systems outside of work. They're going to bring that to work. Did you watch that show Severance on Apple TV? I haven't. It's this concept where essentially you have two different consciousnesses, one that is at work and one that is at home. And mm-hmm. like you kind of shut off. You don't remember anything from work. You don't, And if you're in your work mode, you don't remember anything about your life outside of work. It's a very interesting concept. That is science fiction. That does not exist, right? You're going <laughs> to – yeah. and your employees are going to have all of this stuff. And if they've been in your business for a while – all of the things they learned, all of the self-protection mechanisms they've adapted based on previous iterations of the culture are going to come through. And I've definitely seen that in startups because especially like startups can be so volatile. Like I know we're going a little long. So can I share one that, anecdote that I think yeah, really helped no, me? I, I was just thinking about this. We're going to need to have you back. <laughs> there's <laughs> oh, so much you. we can talk about. This stuff's so great. And because you bring a an academic skill set and it's so fresh for you, like I just love hearing that the stuff that we deal with, there's science behind this and there are people educated in how to deal with this stuff. We don't just have to wing it. And I, so it's just so fascinating to me that you're sharing some of these these tips and talking about behavior therapies and those kinds of things. And we usually don't get too academic here, but I always look for what's the one or two things that people can do to put in their business and get results right away. And you did that without me even asking, which is awesome. So <laughs> share your last story and then we'll wrap up. And then I want to let the listeners know how to get a hold of you and how to learn more about what you're sure. up to. Sure. I had such a great time. I totally geeked out on this stuff. I would love to come back and I'll bring I'll bring sources next time. Well, I don't know if we have to go that deep. <laughs> I'll send you my citation list. You can include it, link it in the show notes, whatever. Awesome. <laughs> I wanted to be a therapist when I originally got out of undergrad and I took a year off between undergrad to apply to grad school, take the GRE. And I grew up in New York City. So I had you know, New York City there. I ended up getting a role at a tech startup. Mm -hmm. I was one, the only woman there. And I was one of 10 employees, I think three of which were remote. So, and I was also like, I was like a sales person, an account manager, a marketing lady. I was, I wore many hats. One day I went into work Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd been working there for about two years. One day I went into work and my boss goes, Hey, uh, I need you to, do you have any like demos today? I'm like, Oh yeah, I got two demos. He's like, go ahead and cancel them. We're going to have a company all hands at noon. And I was just like, okay. So I did that. I'm like 23 at this time, by the way. So I have no idea what's coming. And he, we had an all hands and he goes, okay, guys, I'm sorry. It did not raise a series B. So we are shutting down and you got, you're going to get two more paychecks. I don't need you to do anything today. Just help me close that down the office. And at the time it was the biggest shock to my 20, my little 23 year old brain. I just renewed my lease. I was panicking. But in hindsight, I think it was so beneficial because it showed me how fickle, I suppose, is the word I want to use, like, or how delicate structures can be, like corporate structures can be. And I think to anyone listening, if you're an owner operator, if you're an employee, if you're a manager, 
Change is the one constant. So I would encourage you to think about whether or not you're going to be a bystander to change or if you're going to be an initiator of change. And I think life gets a lot better when you become an initiator. So I would challenge folks listening to think about that. No, that's fantastic. Okay. So before I ask you any more questions and we keep going, (laughs) how do our listeners just learn more about Jackie? I know that you're at Service Titan and I'm sure there's some of our listeners going, I've heard of Service Titan. Yes, I have more than five techs in the field. Maybe they've all seen your commercials. Yes, yes. How do people learn more and get a hold of you? Well, so I would definitely recommend checking out the Toolbox for the Trades podcast. If you liked what I was talking about here, I talk about a lot of this kind of stuff with other service entrepreneurs, contractors all all around North America, honestly. Some of them are Service Titan customers. Some of them aren't. Talk to them about how they grow their business, challenges they overcame, all that good stuff. So if you go to servicetitan.com slash podcast, you can find it. You can also just search Toolbox for the Trades wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you go to the website and you scroll all the way down, you'll find a be on the show or like a guest submission form that goes to my inbox directly. So you can shoot a form at me that way. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So Jacqueline Aubel, J-A-C-L-Y-N. Abel. I go by Jackie, but Jacqueline, because someone in college told me I should use Jacqueline instead of Jackie. And we also have a Toolbox for the Trades Facebook community. So if you search for that on Facebook, you'll be able to find me. And Ryan, thank you so much for letting me geek out on this stuff. I had a really great time and I would love to come back. Thank you for being here. I, I love it. I got a whole page of notes and we'll make sure that all this stuff is in the show notes as well as those links to get a hold of you. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks so much, Ryan. Ryan England here. Thank you so much for listening to Titans of the Trades. If you're a Titan in the construction, manufacturing, or skilled trades industry and would like to be a guest on my show, please visit podcast.corematters.com. If you found value in this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot on your phone and share it with a friend or post it on social. And if you know someone that would be a great guest, Tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Titans of the Trades. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, click the subscribe button. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and get me one step closer to solving the labor crisis facing the industry. Want to know more about how we're doing that? Go to our website or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.